Rising up the election of a generation. I'm Jared Murphy from CityLimits.org. And this is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. And we're very happy now to welcome to the show Jonathan Rosen, who is a uh, political consultant, a principal and co-founder at Berlin Rosen, and he heads strategic communications, crisis management, and media relations across the firm's offices in New York, L.A., and D.C., and of course, as I mentioned at the top of the show, Jonathan is very well known in New York City politics and circles because he helped steer Bill de Blasio to a come-from-behind victory in 2013. So we're going to talk with him about Mayor Bill de Blasio and the race to succeed him. Jonathan, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. How are you guys doing? Doing pretty yeah. well. Yeah. Excited about uh, the final weeks of, of this mayoral race and all the others. How are you doing today? I'm good. Excited for 82-degree weather and the city's <laughs> best COVID numbers in as long as any of us can remember. Absolutely. Absolutely. Things are so, looking up. Yes, indeed. Indeed. And perfect time for uh, for the, the stretch run of this mayoral race and other races, although Perhaps some New Yorkers will be a little distracted by the, uh, the nice weather and the ability to be vaccinated and, and uh, going to many things and getting together with many people. But hopefully the uh, elections will have people a buzz wherever they go. Um, so yeah, where we'll do we stand in this mayoral race? <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, so where do we stand in this mayoral race? Uh, we have eight candidates seemingly in, in some version of a top tier. There might be tiers within that top tier. But how are you thinking about where this race stands here uh, with with just under five weeks until primary day? Sure. Um, and I think we're kind of entering this, this home stretch where I think a lot could start to move. Um, you know, despite all the money being spent in this race, I don't, I don't think we've ever had this many independent expenditures and this many candidates who, who are you know, raising real money. Very few of them are yet up in any meaningful way on broadcast television. Um, you know, Sean and Ray were up early, and then their super PACs took over. Um, Scott has been up in a real way for a while. But, you know, Maya put out her first ad today. It's a really good ad. Um, you know, Captain's ad came out a couple weeks ago. I, I think we're kind of hitting this point where the lights are going to come on in a really big way in the stadium next week. Um, mm -hmm. And voters are going to be like, oh, there's a there's mayor's race happening. Um and we're going to see how that shakes out. I mean, because of the caps in New York City races, as, as you guys know, and the extraordinarily high cost of New York City broadcast television and cable, it does really create a calculus for most campaigns to not start spending money in any real way, um, you know, really until this week, next week. So I think we're going to start to see kind of real engagement happening um, in, in a big way. Um I think the question for, for some candidates then is, are they, are they going to have enough money to, to, to compete? I mean, we had a filing deadline, I guess, and the last deadline for matching funds was on Monday. Be curious to see who, who gets what, because um, this is the time where you expect to see folks going up. I mean, Yang, Adam, Stringer, Garcia, I think appear currently to be funded to, to really, you know, have healthy full buys. Um, I will see on the rest. I mean, um, Ray, we'll, you know, we'll see the filing. There aren't a bottomless number of you know five thousand dollar checks in New York City, and, and we'll see. See what a super PAC does. You know, Diane Morales has been really active on digital. We'll see if she can make it on broadcast. Um, you know, and Maya and Sean, I think, are going to you know need to, to really raise to, to be strong on on TV. Though I guess Sean does have the all in the family independent expenditure. 
yes, Sean Donovan's father putting in close to $7 million into a super PAC on his son's behalf, which is quite a matter on its own to delve into uh, another time. Is is there a risk that all of this advertising drowns each other out? Are there ways that you would sort of strategically think about how to best utilize all this money that the candidates are spending that might not only be on TV ads? Um, you know, as you look at sort of a pretty crowded field, um, you know, with lots of spending being unleashed here, um, what would be some of the best ways to think about getting the best bang for your buck or approaching things in a different way that's, um, you know, that could be helpful? Sure. You know, look, I, I think there is a sense that there's going to be a lot of advertising all on top of each other. Um, I, I don't know where you guys live, but I, I live in a neighborhood with a competitive city council race, Brooklyn Borough President's race. I mean, my, my mailbox is full. And that doesn't even include all of the franked mail I'm getting from State Senator Kevin Parker. Feels like 20 pieces <laughs> per day from his Senate account. Um, and, you know, I think on TV, too, I, I do think it's going to require campaigns to be creative and um, eye-catching and have a real rationale. Um, yes, we are going to have the ability to do in-person street campaigning. Maybe, hopefully, the CFB will catch up and we can do in-person debates, too. Um, but New York City is too big for field in a real way in four or five weeks. Um, you know, digital obviously will take a much, much bigger role than it did when Bill de Blasio ran in 2013. Um, I think you'll see a smart campaign spending, you know, one out of every four dollars on digital. But I still think, you know, you have to show up on TV. Um, you know, I, 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 the, the sort of classic 75-25 split on, on media spend, TV to digital, you kind of can't afford not to be there <laughs> if, if, if your opponents are going to be there. Um, yes, that does, you know, it, it creates cacophony, but you still have to try to register, and that gets into, you know, the creative and, and, and the rationale that you bring. And, look, I, I, I'm kind of in the Josh Greenman camp that this is an extraordinarily strong field. Um of candidates who are offering really different flavors. And so I actually do think voters are going to have a like ability to, to distinguish. I mean, um, yeah. it's a nice, it's so. a nice menu for democratic voters. Josh Greenman, of course, a uh, member of the daily news editorial board who wrote a sort of reset column on the race a couple of weeks ago that, uh, that made that point that it's a, it's a, a strong feel with a, a variety of candidates for people to choose from depending on their preferences. Absolutely. I think the other big question for the campaigns, and, and really interesting specifically for the city, is turnout. Hmm. Um, you know, the kind of peak of turnout in sort of modern times, I, I, I don't go back to like the, the, you know, LaGuardia years, but in, in, really in modern times, you know, was the, the post-9-11 primary that, that Mark Green won in the runoff against Freddie Ferrer, um, where turnout peaked at, you know, about a million voters. Um, it's never gotten that high since. Um, in 2013, when Bill de Blasio was elected, it was around 650,000 voters. Um, and I think there's a real question of where, where it's going to shake out now. And we had really historic turnout in 2018 and 2020 in federal and state races in New York. But, of course, we had sort of Donald Trump in the atmosphere and kind of really juicing things and juicing participation and the resistance. He's obviously gone now, thank God. Um, the city's population is half a million people larger 
than it was in 2013. Um, so, you know, I think if we get a, a, a turnout that's closer to a million, um, it's going to shape the race in, in a lot of ways, um, especially because it does seem like more and more disproportionately those kind of newer, more recent voters are actually younger, um, you know, 25 to 49. And there's sort of a truism in New York City politics, especially in primaries, that you're aiming at the like 55 plus woman basically as like the typical voter. Um, and, you know, what we saw in 2018 and 2020 was that turnout getting younger. I mean, you look at districts like Greenpoint Williamsburg, where, you know, Joe Lentall, kind of a longtime institution, got swept out by a first time candidate driven largely by just enormous turnout by younger, newer voters. You know, similarly, you look at the numbers that Tiffany Caban racked up in, in Western Queens in her DA's race, um, you know, enormous, not just uh, uh, percentages, but like raw vote total, um, you know, with voters kind of in the 25 to 49 demographic. Um, yeah, the other thing that's going to be interesting on, on turnout is what happens with the Asian vote in New York. Um mm-hmm. One of the big stories nationally was a study about this that came out just the other day. Sort of the biggest increase in voter participation from 2016 to 2020 was in the AAPI community. Um, you know, what, what, so a, a vote that in New York that would normally be 6% could be, you know, 8 10% as a percentage increase. That's pretty huge. Um, and you have what could be a breakthrough candidacy with, with Andrew Yang. Um there's a history in all uh, across the country, but in New York City elections uh, of candidates who are firsts um, in, in, in different um, ethnic groups, really driving huge surges in, in, in turnout. We saw it for David Dinkins um, and his historic win for mayor. We saw it for Freddie Ferrer in 2001, massive increase in Latino vote. Um, so, you know, between the overall increase in AAPI engagement across the country and the Yang candidacy. That'll be an interesting thing to watch as well. Mm, interesting. Jonathan, I'm curious. I know you said at the top that this is obviously a very fluid race and we're only now moving into the kind of crunch time, but I know anything's possible. You were affiliated with the campaign that, that came very much from kind of the the second tier up to, to storm to, to win the 2013 primary. But when you look at this race, the candidates who have consistently been kind of running out of the money, running in low single digits in the polls, Sean Donovan, Ray McGuire, and I guess to some extent, Dan Morales, do you think that at this stage they have a viable path to win? Is that is that still possible? Uh, I mean, look, like you said, uh, our campaign theme song could have been started from the bottom. Now we hear. So, um, any, but uh, yeah, it's getting, it's getting late. Um, I think for McGuire, Morales and Donovan, it, it's getting very late. Um, they would need a real change in, you know, the shape of the race, the narrative, a, a real change in the rationale. Look, I mean, Ray has a, has a good message and a really good team. Um, Many of them are close friends. Um, but look, I think we're seeing real questions of whether a city wants a banker for the job. Um, you know, Diane, I think, has given voters a ton of clarity around positioning, maybe more than any other candidate. Um, but as progressive as the city is, is she too far to the left for, you know, the median progressive voter? And, you know, how do you how do you reach a million likely primary voters on a campaign that's like pretty confined to digital? Um 
you know, Sean, I mean, like only in New York could you be a former two-time U.S. cabinet secretary and not be a top-tier candidate. If it was, you know, Indiana, <laughs> you'd be the governor and running for president. Um, but, <laughs> but, this is, but this is New York. Um, you know, Sean is a, is a great guy with a great resume who I think everyone who knows him like thinks he's just a, a really smart government public servant, notwithstanding the Brooklyn House value problem. Um but uh, I, I think creating rationale for, for that candidacy has been, been really hard. Um, again, great team. I would not count them out. Um, Bill Hires is one of the best. And, um, you know, we'll, 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 we'll see. But, yes, I think this is you – got, you got to get moving soon. If, if you're, you're not out of it yet, but, but if you're going to be in it, this is, this is, this is time to kick into, kick into gear. And, Jonathan, um, re- you know, reset – Reset the situation for Scott Stringer for us. Is he uh, in less trouble than we thought when the allegations broke and people, some people in groups abandoned him? Is he, it, did that cut off his path to victory and he sort of most likely can sort of still place solidly, but he can't really expand into, uh, you know, communities where he was expecting to expand? Um, reset his, his status from your viewpoint and what they would need to do to uh, sort of skyrocket here in the final weeks. Sure. Um, I mean, look, I think what's interesting in, in some of the polls that are current recently, and, and you know, there, there's been actually a lot of darts of public polling this year compared to mm-hmm. previous cycles in New York. It, it does seem like Scott is still in it. Um, and, you know, I, it, he's obviously an experienced campaigner who's well-known, um, by lots of New Yorkers, run citywide, has run boroughwide multiple times. His home district is where he originally represented in the assembly is one of the highest performing districts in the city. He's held on to support from the UFT, which is spending an enormous amount of money for him. And I think in terms of gross rating points, seems to be spending more on broadcast with ads than any of the other candidates. So I mean, that is keeping him in the race. The question is, can he expand beyond his base at this point? Um, or you know, have has the situation made put a ceiling, and I think we're we're going to see. Mm-hmm. And what do you make of um, sort of Andrew Yang's status and how he matches with you know the New York electorate that you know, and you know your sense beyond what you said earlier about you know both. I mean, both an increase in younger voters and obviously an increase in AAPI voters could advantage him. Although younger voters could go in a few different directions. Um, but beyond those points from earlier, how do you sort of see his status? He doesn't seem to have uh, gained much. He seems to have, you know, lost a little bit of the luster since he jumped into the race. But um, how do you see him and sort of his match for the uh, the city and the electorate at this moment? Sure. Uh, look, I think singularly among the candidates, he's bringing a spirit of kind of optimism and off the cuff charm to the race. Optimism is infectious. People, I think you got to give credit to that campaign for being in tune with the kind of comeback vibe of the city. Um, you know, the, the, he's having some telepathy with the uh, the Bill de Blasio we're seeing in a Nets jersey eating, you know, hamburgers. The, the spring of Bill, um, summer of Yang, spring of Bill, or maybe it's spring of Yang, summer of Bill. Um, and, and I think voters relate to that optimism. Uh, that said, I think, you, you know, can he expand his base? Like his numbers do seem to be coming down towards Earth as voters get to know some of the other candidates. Um, I think a lot of people expected that would happen. That often happens with sort of a celebrity candidate at the beginning. They, they hang high for a long time before 
a race gets engaged. Um, and, and so we'll see. I mean, I, I think notable, they have not started any real ad buy from what I can tell. Um, again, like super talented team. So, so we'll see, but uh, he's picked the lane, right? I mean, I think, I think again, it's to, 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 to kind of a variation on the Greenman's point on qualifications of, of candidates. You have candidates who really pick lanes here. I mean, they, they really are running on like very distinct things. And for Gang, you know, he is he is betting on the hot vac summer vibe, scaring him in, in, into City Hall, and we'll see what that you know, paid media is. At the same time, you see an Eric kind of contrast. It's really owning, you know, safety and justice, like crime and reform. And you're talking about the DA's race earlier uh, as I was you know, coming on, um, and clearly that's resonating. He's kind of taking the lane of being a blue-collar mayor and finding a real audience in the city. You know, he's now facing some of the same press scrutiny that Yang did earlier. That's what happens when you become a front-runner in this town. Um, and we'll see how well he holds up the extra light. Um, but each of these candidates has their piece. I mean, Catherine, I think, is, is also getting, getting a, a huge look from voters. Um, and, uh, you know, I think her candidacy can provide a, a new test of both the power of the Times Ed Board and and, you know, really the question of preparation, right? Um, she's easily the best prepared candidate for mayor in you know, a generation, um, more than a generation. Um, and uh, we, 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 you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see. Um, so I, like, I think there are these exciting lanes. You know, and again, in Maya, I mean, I saw her new ad a couple hours ago on, on, on the Twitters. Um, similar, like, has a lane, clearly identifies her point of view and, like, as you know, four words in it: mom and civil rights lawyer that tells voters so much about her values and her background. She's got a bunch of endorsements. The Hakeem endorsement's a big deal. Will she have the resources to get that ad in front of voters? I, I don't know. I guess we'll see. All right, we've got just a few more minutes with Jonathan Rosen of Berlin Rosen. Um, we could dissect the mayoral race all day, but want to get to a couple other things with you. Uh, you helped launch a project, New York Forever. Uh, tell us what it is and, and how it's going. Awesome. Yes. So over the summer of last year, Risa Heller, who, who, who your listeners don't know, is, is one of the great PR mavens of our city and one of the great New Yorkers. We, we were she was we were furiously texting, mainly her texting me about how how down people were about the city and um, especially our, our wonderful paper of record that we love. It was like every day there was a story about, you know, how to buy a house in Montclair and like why you should have a yurt in the Catskills. Um, <laughs> will New York City be dead forever? Experts mm-hmm. weigh in. Um, and we were, we were thinking about, you know, like what would, what would Jay Kriegel do? Um, for, for your listeners who don't know, Jay was like one of the great civic New Yorkers who died just before the pandemic. And so we thought like, how do we kind of take, there's so much kind of latent New York City patriotism. How do we tap it and, and, give people a chance to show their pride in the city and um, play a role in, in its comeback. So we launched this organization. It's a nonprofit called New York Forever. Um, I urge your listeners to go to newyorkforever.nyforever.nyc or find us on Instagram where all the good content is. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's built around the idea of a pledge that people take a very simple pledge. It's on the website. Um, that they are going to be part of this city's recovery. Um, and by signing the pledge and following, we then uh, reach out. We, we have a great partnership with New York Cares, um, which is one of the great sort of volunteer organizations in the city. 
And we've been connecting New Yorkers from literally every neighborhood with local volunteer opportunities from park cleanups to working in um, food kitchens to, um, you know, working in shelters to all sorts of kind of community needs. We've also been doing um, a lot of fundraising for causes that that help the city. Um, We did a partnership really early on that was really awesome with Roar. Um, a coalition of independent restaurants that came together in the pandemic to really fight for their survival. Um, and the Robin Hood Foundation, they'd created a relief fund for restaurant workers. Um, and with the fashion brand Alex Mill, created a New York Forever t-shirt um, that sold many thousands of t-shirts to um, raise money for the restaurant worker relief fund. We also did a great partnership with New York Magazine, where we... Uh, gave stipends to 12 New York City independent restaurants in all five boroughs to create their own version of the best New York City cookie. And it was sort of sold as a gift box with yes. all of the proceeds going also to the Robin Hood Relief Fund. It raised $70,000 um, wow. for direct relief for restaurant workers through cookie sales. It's like the Girl Scout cookie <laughs> idea on, on, on steroids. Um, we did a great partnership with Jeff Staple to uh, raise money for the organization Welcome to Chinatown and help combat anti-Asian violence and bring attention to anti-Asian hate crimes that are proliferating in the city. And we are super excited. Um, I I don't want to, you know, I don't want to spoil our news here, but we are are exploring some partnerships that we'll be announcing soon to help (laughs) ensure that more low-income New York City kids have access to healthy, fun, active summer experiences in their neighborhoods. So many kids have been, you know, on Zoom and not been able to kind of be out there as a city gets safer we want to make sure that parents and kids and families have the ability to have a safe summer and we'll be announcing a really exciting project about that soon so go check it out take the pledge yeah we and and uh uh, risa is is great and that's great that you guys are uh doing doing that work together so uh well done on that and folks should check it out all right so listen we went long on the mayoral race we're not going to have time to chat with you about bill de blasio's legacy so you have to come back and do that another time soon okay (laughs) (laughs) yes and uh but I will I will let you go on this. Should he run for governor uh, next year? No. No. All right. Will he? Don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Jonathan Rosen of Berlin Rosen, we appreciate your thoughts on this year's mayoral contest. And we are going to talk with you more in the future about uh, Mayor Bill de Blasio and revisit the question of that possible run for governor, but but much more substantively about his uh, nearing eight years in office, but uh, but thanks for the time. Awesome, thanks, guys. All right, talk to you.